Good morning, everybody. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 3 if you have one. If not, we're going to put it on the screen. And would you stand with me as we read this passage of Scripture? This is verse, starting at verse 2, going through verse 12. We all stumble in many ways. And you don't have, oh, sorry, you don't have to read it out loud. <laughs> that was great. That was awesome. Sorry, yes, read it with me internally. <laughs> you can say it if you want to, but. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You can be seated. So earlier this year, I felt like the Lord wanted me to meditate on two of the verses we just read. James 3, verse 8 and 9, that's where he is saying, uh, no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse those who are made in God's likeness. And so I'm sitting in my office with my Bible on my lap, praying into that verse, quoting it, memorizing it asking God to speak to me about it, reading it. And all of a sudden, my wife, Jamie, walks in the room and, and we start talking a little bit. And within 30 seconds, based on something that she had brought up, I start just complaining about this person that I know. Just like, this, they're a jerk. Why are they saying this? Why are they doing this? Something to that extent. I forget exactly what I was saying. And she's just kind of looking at me like, whoa. And... <laughs> And after a second, I looked down and remember what I was just doing, right? I was just memorizing the verse, with our tongue, we bless God, we read the Bible, we pray, and we curse those made in God's likeness. I was literally doing what James was saying there. And it just served as a reminder to me, and if you're like me, maybe you need from time to time to just be reminded that, wow, how I speak is actually important to God. Am I speaking honorably about people? Am I building them up or am I complaining about them? Am I tearing them down? Am I gossiping? Am I sharing information that someone wouldn't want me to share who it's about if they were there? 
you know, for the sake of interesting conversation? Um, am I speaking defensively? If, am I getting triggered and out of kind of some anger and bitterness in my heart, like pushing that onto someone else? Like, what, am I, how, what does my speech look like? And, and if you're like me, you need to be reminded from time to time, like, yeah, um, that can feel small in the moment. It's easy to move on from it and forget about it. But that matters to God. How we speak matters to God. And so I want to talk about what does it look like to speak in such a way that represents Jesus well. That, you know, because that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to, it's not to like not ever cuss, but the ultimate goal is to speak in such a way where we're always representing Jesus with our words. And so how do we do that? And how do we, what does that look like? And how do we step into that? We read James 3. Let's take a closer look at verses 3 and 4. Verses three and four is where he's talking about how we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, and we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So what he's getting at here is he's saying, look, our tongues are like the bits that you put into horses' mouths to direct them and to, you know, to steer them wherever you, whether you want to go right or left or straight whether you want to stop or go. And then he uses another metaphor. Our tongues are also like the rudders of ships, where uh, what, if you want the ship to turn right, you want the ship to turn left, you want the ship to turn around, you want the ship to go straight forward, it's this small rudder that controls the whole thing. And then he goes into metaphors about the tongue where he, in contrast to a constructive metaphor like, a ship taking you somewhere you need to go or a horse taking you somewhere you need to go. He talks about the tongue as a fire that's destructive and burns, right? So what, what James is actually doing here in the beginning of his comments on the tongue is he's showing us how the tongue can be powerfully good in our lives and how it can also be powerfully dangerous and harmful in our lives. And when he's talking about the horses and the ships, essentially what he's saying is that like the words that we speak can not only um, take us from one place to another, they can develop us, they can grow us. Like the words that we speak, um, they can actually like launch us into God's destiny, but they can also do that for another person. The words that I speak over you can take you from here to there. I mean, I can recall a time where I was 24 and I was attending a conference, and the former national leader of the vineyard was there. And during ministry time, I came to the front of the room where everyone was, people are getting prayer, and he walks over to me, and he lays his hand on my shoulder, and he just says the simple thing. He just says, launch Luke. And he says it four times. Launch Luke, launch Luke, launch Luke, launch Luke. And then he moved on. And I really feel like from that moment, I was launched and looking at what was happening ministry-wise then, I was launched from that moment. Our words can powerfully um, <clears throat> dictate and influence the course of someone's life for the good. And so, uh, so we should be speaking life over people and understanding that sometimes, I mean, I guarantee you, Phil Strout does not remember saying that over me, but it was transformative in my life. The simplest things we say over people can powerfully impact them. But then the same is true 
on the other side of things. The tongue is like a fire, meaning it is destructive. It can totally, uh, it can harm the course of someone's life. It can harm someone from stepping into their God-given destiny. Um, it's, it can be, um, the tongue when used for evil is a destructive force. I don't know how many, I mean, I'm sure all of us some point in our life, someone said something negative to us or over us that stuck with us. And we, you know, maybe it still impacts us to this day, like you're a disappointment. Maybe you heard that from someone or you're an idiot, you're weird, no one likes you. You can go on and on and on. Those phrases that someone might have carelessly said over you and they forgot about it, you didn't forget about it, and it still is impacting you to this day. And sometimes it impacts us in ways we're not even aware of. And it takes like counseling and inner healing prayer and, and the Holy Spirit speaking to us to realize, wow, when that person spoke that negative thing over me 10 years ago, it did something in my heart that is still affecting me to this day. The tongue can powerfully harm as well. It's powerfully able to influence and bless someone, it's powerfully harmful. And it all depends upon whether we're using it in a way that Jesus calls us to or not. Now in verse eight, James starts talking about taming the tongue, which is the title of my message, Taming the Tongue. And he makes this interesting comment. He says, you know, human beings have been taming all these other animals, but no human being can tame the tongue. Or maybe your translation simply says, but no one can tame the tongue. I heard that growing up in church. If you know my story, you know that's, I've been, a, you know, I've been going to church my whole life. And I heard that growing up. And the way I interpreted that phrase, no one can tame the tongue, is it's hopeless. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. Don't even try. You're just going to have a sin, you're going to speak sinfully for your whole life. I don't know if anyone else took it that way, that kind of fatalistic way, but that's how I took it. But when you look closer at it, and I know some translations say it differently, but when you look at the Greek language that was translated into English, the best, the better translation, I should say, is not simply no one can tame the tongue, but no human being can tame the tongue or no one among mankind can tame the tongue, or no man can tame the tongue. Those are, that's a more accurate way to understand that. And so the implication of that certainly is not that we are hopelessly doomed to speak sinfully and not get any breakthrough in that area for the rest of our lives, but the implication of that is that no human being can tame the tongue, so that's why we need God. Holy Spirit in me, can bring my tongue into submission, the way I speak, into submission to God. I can't do it on my own strength or my own effort. I have to rely on the Holy Spirit's strength and the Holy Spirit's effort. And so when it comes to taming the tongue, the first thing I want to point out is that trying to do it out of your own human strength and effort is going to fail. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit in order to tame our tongue. Now, Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe, it's, maybe you've literally heard someone say, you have to rely on God, not yourself to tame your tongue. Or maybe you've heard someone say, you have to rely on God to conquer 
the temptation to um, lie, not on yourself, or you have to rely on God's strength to go out and share your faith, not on your own. And isn't it hard to tell the difference sometimes, whether I'm relying on my strength or God's strength? I don't know, if, I guess, for me, it's, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Like, what is the difference between me trying hard to tame my tongue because I love God and me relying on God for my tongue to be tamed. Like, what is actually the difference between me doing it in my own effort and me doing it in God, by God's strength? Like, if you heard people say to you before, hey, that struggle you have, just give it up to God. Okay, so, you know, I, I remember hearing that and being like, next time I was feeling tempted to sin, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna try too hard of my own strength. I'm gonna give this to God. God, I give this to you. Okay, I still feel tempted. <laughs> All right, so I don't wanna do it out of my own strength, so I guess I shouldn't try too hard not to sin, so I guess I'll just go sin. That's being real. That's where I've been before. And, and, I, and sometimes I don't think it's helpful, some of these Christianese terms we have. They have meaning behind them, but when they get repeated over and over again, and there's no explanation, no depth to them, they, become, they don't become helpful anymore. So let's talk about that for a second. What is the difference between relying on God to tame your tongue and relying on yourself? So first off, I think that the overall mentality will look very similar in relying on God and myself. I think the overall mentality in both cases will look something like this. I'm going to put forth great effort to tame my tongue because I love Jesus and I wanna grow in his likeness. So it can really look the same initially but the difference lies not necessarily in the behavior, but in the motivations and the mindsets behind the behavior and behind the mentality. So when I'm doing it in my own strength, I am um, ashamed of how I've been careless with my speech lately. I have the belief that if I don't put forth great effort, God will see and be disappointed in me and I'll be disappointed in myself. I have the thought that, you know, I'm realizing that I've hurt people that I love and unless I fix this problem, they're gonna hate me and um, they're gonna make poor life decisions, et cetera. There are all these, these different beliefs that would go behind me wanting to put forth great effort to tame my tongue. And then if you go one layer even deeper, Usually there are beliefs behind these like, I'm a failure, I'll never be good enough, I'm going to be rejected, I'm a bad parent, spouse, friend, leader, etc. And so when these kinds of beliefs and mindsets are motivating me to tame my tongue or really to do any Christian discipline, I am relying on my own strength. Because I'm actually, even though I'm saying that I'm doing it because I love God and want to be more like Jesus, what's actually fueling that is not things that he's speaking over me. It's things that I'm speaking over myself and it's things that the enemy is speaking over me. 
By contrast, when I'm relying on God, these are the kinds of beliefs and motivations that are motivating me. I haven't been acting consistently with who I know Jesus has made me to be. I want my actions to be consistent with my Christ-like identity in this area. God's love, approval, value, or perspective of me is not determined by how well, how well I speak. That's a big one. <clears throat> because I know that I love God, people, and who God has made me to be, I know I can speak with more honor, love, kindness, patience, etc. You know, if I've hurt people with my words, I need to humble my, I need to humble myself, apologize, and clean up my mess. But God's work is way more powerful in the lives of the people around me than my careless words are. And then if you go even deeper, I'm God's masterpiece. I'm good. I'm accepted. I'm a good parent, spouse, friend, leader, etc. This is what it looks like to rely on God's strength. It's when the truth is actually motivating me to want to tame my tongue, not a lie, not something the enemy is speaking over me. And so if you're ever in that scenario, whether it's taming your tongue or some other temptation, and you're wondering, am I doing this in my strength or God's strength? Take a look at some of the motivations and some of the beliefs that are compelling you to do what you're trying to do. And that's where you'll find out whether you're doing it from his strength or not. Hopefully that made sense. So what are then some of those behavior, sorry, some of those mindsets and thought processes and attitudes and motivations that need to be adjusted in order for us to tame our tongues. So in verse, in, or sorry, in the book of James, he presents this as a problem. Y'all need to tame your tongue. And the reason that he is telling them they need to do that, he actually reveals later on in the chapter. Right at the beginning of chapter 4 of the book of James, he points out that there is all kinds of conflict and unhealthy disputes happening between the believers. And that a big part of what's going on, of why they were in these conflicts, were one, they weren't listening well. You ever heard the, vo- you ever heard the verse, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, Uh, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's in James chapter 1. And the reason James said that to them is because they were probably being slow to listen, quick to become angry, and quick to speak. So there's these conflicts happening. There's impatience. There's not good listening. And also what was going on is they were, the, the Christians here were like, speaking like they were really pious and religious and holy, but they weren't acting like it. This is the same book in James chapter one is where James says to them, if any think they are religious, but do not bridle their tongues and deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. And so uh, this is what's going on. And so this is why Paul is telling them to tame their tongues in the first place, because they we're having these conflicts with each other. And in the second half of chapter three, Paul gives like the answer to how he wanted them to tame their tongue. And there's three things we're gonna pull out 
as we conclude our, this, this topic. So uh, first thing that God, I believe, is calling us to do to tame our tongues is to pick up gentle wisdom. This comes from James 3, verse 13. But pick up gentle wisdom. You see, the world loves harsh wisdom. And the world also loves foolish gentleness. But God is calling us to pick up gentle wisdom. You know, harsh wisdom is, you know, really give it to them and make them see how wrong they were. Really, like, embarrass them with how wrong they were with the truth. You beat Bible bash, right? And then foolish gentleness is, you know what? Whatever they want to do, it's fine. Let them stay enslaved to all kinds of bondage and dysfunction and evil. That's fine. Like, it's okay. It's cool. But the way of Jesus isn't, isn't harsh wisdom or foolish gentleness. It's gentle wisdom. So as I was reading this great quote, kind of making this point, one of the commentators said this, a woman once came to John Wesley and said she knew what her talent was. And she replied, I think my talent from God is to speak my mind. Wesley replied, <laughs> Wesley replied, I don't think God would mind it if you buried that talent. <laughs> <laughs> gentle wisdom it's not just blurting out everything that comes to mind it's using restraint it's using wisdom it's speaking the truth but not just everything <laughs> and there is a time for stern correction if you know my story you know that for five or six years I was a young adult pastor here and along with my best friend, Wilson. And one of the common problems, we were talking about it earlier, actually, for young adult men is pornography addiction. And there were plenty of, lots of young men that I talked to and helped pray for them, counsel them, and, and ultimately try to get them set free from pornography. And 99% of the time when I would meet up with one of these guys. They'd walk into my office or whatever, and we'd sit down to talk, and, and they'd confess to me that they had failed once again. Uh, they did not need anyone else to beat them up with the truth in that moment. Like, there was such deep shame. They, had been, they didn't need anyone else to beat them up because they'd been beating themselves up for a long time. And they did not need harshness from me. They did not need me to really get them to understand that it was wrong, what they were doing. They needed gentleness. There was, however, one time that I can remember in all seven years where I sat down with a guy and he's like, yeah, you know, I just don't really think it's a big deal. And, <laughs> and I realized, okay, I think the normal way that I would usually go, the normal, gentle, super, super like, kind, understanding, everything way. I don't think that's the approach I'm gonna take. And so I had him turn to Matthew chapter five. We read the verse where Jesus says that um, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery with her in his heart. And I looked at him and said, look, I think what God wants you to do is 
to stop committing adultery on your future spouse and to stop doing this because when you do, it, this, the equivalence of the sin is as if you were a married person committing adultery with your spouse. And I, I, did, I wasn't mean. I didn't yell at him. I didn't like slam the Bible down when we read it. I didn't do anything that was uh, unnecessary, but I was serious. I was stern and he left that meeting in full genuine repentance for what he'd done and he, and he got free a few weeks later. <clears throat> so, so there is a time for that, but the default is that the kindness of God is what leads us to repentance. Romans 2, chapter 4. It's gentle wisdom. Secondly, so God wants us to pick up gentle wisdom. I think he also wants us to let go of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. <clears throat> Ephesians four twenty nine through 31 says this, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So if you find that you have bitterness towards another person, let me say it this way. Bitterness towards another person is often behind why we speak in a sinful way or why we speak in a dishonoring or disrespectful way. And it could be something as serious as what, you know, they really hurt me with something they did. But it can also be as simple as I'm annoyed with the opinions that they're sharing. Either way, however severe the initial thing is, bitterness can start to develop in our heart towards them. And bitterness looks like judgmentalism. Like, why the heck are they saying that? Why the heck do they think that? That's stupid. Bitterness can look like anger towards them. I'm so angry at them. Bitterness can look like um, just a low view of them in, in general. Bitterness can look like a whole lot of things, but what it is is it's a picture of them that's developing in my mind that God is not behind it's when a picture of another person is being formulated and developed in my mind and God is not the one formulating it and developing it. And so when that happens, what just naturally flows out of us, and again, we can hold, we, it is sinful speech. We can hold it at bay for a while. We can hold that bitterness in and not come out. But eventually, it's going to come out. And so God's calling us to let go of bitterness and there's really only a few, I, there's two main ways to do that. One, we do like what Paul said in Ephesians 4. We forgive them for what they did like Jesus forgave you for what you did. So when you were forgiven by Jesus, he didn't get an apology from you first. You know, he didn't get to have you hear you say, I'm sorry, I know what I did was super wrong. Will you please forgive me? And you say, or sorry, and him say to you, yes, I forgive you. And then, no, it was, it was without an apology. And sometimes God is calling us to 
forgive somebody without an apology, without them ever recognizing what they did was wrong. In fact, a great definition of forgiveness that I've heard is forgiveness is giving up all hope for a better past. It's letting go of all hope that things would have been better. And so we need to forgive people if we want to get rid of, if you, and if you have bitterness, you know you have it. And actually, God, God designed it so that your heart and mind and your tongue would be connected. God designed it so that what you're feeling in here, what you're thinking up here would eventually come out here. And that can actually be a really good thing. Like, don't beat yourself up when you find yourself speaking dishonorably about somebody. Catch it and be like, oh, yay, God's gonna do heart work on me. It's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna get free from bitterness. <laughs> Have that mentality. <clears throat> and then sometimes, not, not in every scenario, but sometimes forgiving them secretly just isn't enough. And this is why in Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, hey, if you know, if you're about to, in worship, present your offering, and you remember, oh, I have an issue with this person. He literally says, stop worshiping. Leave your offering where it is. Don't give it yet. And go reconcile with that person, and then come back and worship. And so sometimes having a conversation with the person that you have bitterness towards is what needs to happen. And when you go into that, obviously you go in not with, uh, not with harsh wisdom and not with a lack of kindness or compassion or gentleness. You go in with, with gentleness and kindness, and, um, but you still also share very directly what's bothering you. And you try to reconcile with that person, and a lot of times it'll work, and the times that it doesn't, at least you did everything you could to reconcile with them, and then it's just gonna have to be, okay, I'm just gonna forgive them then regardless of what is going on between me and them. Lastly, God wants us to hold tighter to purity, peace, gentleness, yieldedness, mercy, and impartiality. Those are, it's a list of things from James chapter three, verse 17. And I think I better stop here. So would you stand with me? <laughs> I'm just gonna pray a blessing on us to walk in this. And I, I wanna encourage you that when we do these prayers at the end, you could view it as like a ceremonial close to the message. Okay, now I'm gonna go eat. Or <laughs> you could view it as God actually doing something in the spiritual, you won't be able to necessarily see it, but in the spiritual realm. So in Jesus' name, with Jesus' authority and power, I bless all of us in this room right now to bring our speech into submission to God. I bless you to do that in Jesus' name, that our words would reflect at all times the character and love and heart of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.